0: In order to be a good wedding photographer, an accomplished wedding photographer, you have to know what's coming
1: next. It's never about what you're shooting in that moment, it's what's coming next. Welcome to the She Clicks Women in Photography podcast. I'm Angela Nicholson and I'm the founder of She Clicks, which is a community for female photographers. In these podcasts, I talk to women in the photographic industry to hear about their experiences, what drives them and how they got to where they are now. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sony Ambassador Kate Kirkman of Kate Hopewell-Smith Photography. She's an expert in various photographic fields, including wedding, portrait, boudoir and food. She describes her style as fine art storytelling and promises to capture natural emotion and human connection in a stylish and creative way. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the SheClicks Women in Photography podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. It seems like quite a while since I saw you. Just trying to think back, it was probably at a photography show a long time ago where you were sitting on a sofa with Brent, your husband, talking to lots of people about your training courses, I think. Oh, well, yes, that has been some time and that was pre-pandemic. <laughs> yes, but let's not think about the pandemic. No, let's not.
0: Well, although our first one back, we had a little positive test while we were there. So. <laughs> oh, crikey. It's been a while since I've seen you.
1: Yes. Anyway, I'd like to start by asking you how you got to being a professional photographer because like a lot of photographers I've spoken to, it wasn't your original calling. You actually went from another career into photography and how did that work for you? I think it was a very typical change in the sense that
0: I was in London working in media and kind of branding and advertising, nubbed it but wanted to start a family and did that and wanted to be a full-time mum for a bit and at the same time moved out of London so two fairly major life changes and found being full-time mother pretty fun on think The hardest job I've ever done. And then had to start thinking about the future and what that meant work-wise because I knew that I was never going to be a full-time mother for the long ball. And I was really faced with a decision, Angela, about going back in the community training to London to continue that career. Yep to try and do something a bit suited to family life. And in parallel to having to make that decision, I had been bought a camera for Christmas, a little D8T, t and little Nikon, and it was very much my hobby to run alongside full-time motherhood. And people were just saying, why don't you try and do something with photography? And I just thought, why not? But, and interestingly, I wasn't so much worried about running the business side, which is huge because I had some experience with that, I was much more concerned about being a better photographer. So I then spent a year training and learning um, and building the business before, yeah, launching and just
1: thinking, well, I'll give it a go and see what happens. So had you done much photography as a hobby before then? No. <laughs> was it a very conscious, I've got this camera and I'm going to become a professional?
0: I don't know, it sounds crazy. Um, and it is crazy. But no, I had... Done a lot of painting, and I'd done a history of art degree, and so I actually had a really solid grounding in visual arts and composition and color theory and, ironically, all the things that helped to formulate imagery without the technical knowledge of a camera. And for me, it was about that. It was about understanding how to create what I wanted using the equipment it was never about the kit or the photography for me it was about the end result so um and I realized very quickly how much I didn't know and just focused on filling those knowledge gaps really
1: yeah <laughs> but I about mean, so, I guess you were swapping your paintbrushes for a camera and just trying to produce something that was the same kind of thing but with a different tool yeah exactly and I, I still very
0: much am drawn to my painterly work and um quite you know figurative words so working with with people and with form and it just really was an incredibly fast way to achieve what I used to spend hours and hours doing in a painting and when I my understood how I wanted to to work with light I just didn't know how to make the camera do it yeah so it was very much about for me I've never been obsessed with with kit it's only ever been about enabling me to 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 create something rather
1: than, uh, well, you know, this loudness or that lens or, you know, and I think a lot of women are like that anyway. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And I was thinking about this just the other day, actually, that photography, when you come down to it, I mean, there are lots of buttons and controls and great long menus on cameras, but actually we're talking about shutter speed, aperture, sensitivity or ISO, which are the basic things you had with film photography and then white balance. So sort of like the colour, the look. Um, And they're actually quite straightforward to understand. The problem is that they just use such weird numbers. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about F2.8. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, and one thousandth of a second, one hundred and one twenty-fifth and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of, those aren't intuitive. And I think it's that that is the stumbling block for a lot of people, isn't it? Yeah, Exactly. You said it's counterintuitive um, and reminds you of physics.
0: Ah, which it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Often women then try to understand it properly and use the the auto features of the camera to their advantage, which, you know, I did, Mm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you begin to learn how you like to shoot light, then for me, that's generally not the way the camera does in auto mode. It's, It's absolutely the opposite of that. And once I realized that I was constantly having to use exposure compensation, like I was an aperture priority, constantly compensating either direction to achieve what I wanted. I soon realized that I needed to understand this better and get working manually. Otherwise, I'm just slowing myself down. Um, And also, you know, there's this great obsession in the industry, mainly with men about histograms, you know, perfect histograms Mm -hmm. and we spend a lot of time when we're training saying there is no such thing as a perfect histogram and yes. You know, I had a guy we were actually training Sony and Mark and cameras to, to to shoot video recently and, and there was somebody who was very much like that. And you know, and he and I said to him, Have you ever looked at your histogram when shooting in snow conditions? And he just kinda of looked blankly at me and, and I thought, you see, they mm. you know didn't really this is the problem. I think people get fixated on reading something or or some small element, rather than having this kind of bigger picture understanding of
1: how to make the camera work for you. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was I was doing a little uh, sort of talk about the basics of photography one time, and I just sort of said basically it's all fractions. That's where it gets confusing. When it's an F and a slash, and that's it's a, because it's a fraction. <laughs> and somebody came up to me uh, afterwards and said, "My God, that makes so much sense." I think sometimes you need to just hear things being said in a different way, and. I remember when somebody gave me a sort of, I don't know, it was like an hour or two hours tuition on the basic controls of camera, and he sort of explained aperture priority and shutter priority and what they all did and everything. And I pointed at the auto, so what does that do? And he said, well, that estimates it for you. And so I was like, so it does everything. And he was like, yeah. So I just looked at him and turned it to auto yeah. and walked out the room. But you know, it's it's an obvious reaction, but you really have to kind of go through the process of learning what aperture does and what shutter speed does. and. One day you might think it won't, but one day there's just something connects you Oh right. Now I've got it. And I think it's
0: it's when you actually choose to to take control of everything, including the light. Yeah. Rather than um, you know, for me I, I realised that I was location led or, or people led. So I'd be attracted to the location or the person rather than understanding that you need to start with the light Mm -hmm. Uh, and then where does that take you in terms of location and what does that mean you ask somebody or gently direct someone to do to enable the best light and I think once you realize that understanding the camera and and the 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 kind of technology side of it better is only going to make you more creative that's when you
1: maybe have an appetite for it. (laughs) And when you got to that point, was that when you started using flash? Uh, yeah, quite quickly. But also, I think if you shoot weddings
0: or families, you very quickly realise that you don't necessarily get to choose the the perfect time to shoot, or in the, and you, you very rarely in come to get the perfect lighting conditions. And when you're working on location, you almost never get the perfect rotation conditions. So it's it's constant compromise, uh, and that's what I say at. Uh, Brent and I do is we just problem solve from start to finish, whatever the shoot we're on. We we very rarely work in fully controlled environments. And and in fact, those are probably food photography. We tend to fully control it. And then there's a lot of work setting it up and getting it right. And then the actual shoot is very straightforward and very easy. And it's the opposite of how we tend to work with with people. And and, and this is it. Once you understand that that's your job... (laughs) And even above everything else is to problem solve and at a wedding incredibly quickly, then you realise how important it is that you understand your kit and have to hand any additional elements that you might need, because lighting at weddings is tough. It's really tough. And um even if it's the summer or the winter, it really doesn't matter. And and all I'm ever doing is trying to create the best light that I can. And and if I can go to a wedding and only use ambient light, then I'm going to do that you know I'm still fundamentally a lover of natural light but I also
1: understand that it rarely plays to my advantage from start to finish on a sheet are there ever any times when you're at a wedding and you can see that the light the really nice light is coming but the couple are I don't know doing something maybe maybe they're cutting the cake you've got the cake sh- cutting pictures but they're still cutting the cake and you know that the light is going to come really good outside by the fountain and you just kind of do you ever have to restrain yourself from rushing it and saying, Come on, to we'll go and get this shot, or do you just go for it? When we were at Ashridge and the couple, they talked
0: very much about wanting Golden Hour. Not everybody gets it, and they had it. And so I basically know the window of opportunity around what has to be achieved in terms of the wedding schedule. And so I, I always go and make a deal with them. I say, okay, do you, A, do, do you want to do this? Because obviously they entitled to tell and say no. Um, and then if they do want to do it, then I give them the parameters. Like, you know, literally with what, X amount of time. And the bride said, yes, no problem. Um, but I do want to be in my evening dress. which well, had two dresses and I said, fine. And so she, she agreed to leave literally straight after the speeches. And then I said, fine, we'll wait out five for you so you know where to come. 20 minutes later we're still standing there and in the end I go you know I'm literally running to find her and and eventually I found her and we probably had about three or four minutes and we're just watching the light dropping um and we you know yes we managed to achieve it but there are times when you've got to understand it's their wedding
1: and they make a decision but it can be yes it can be deeply frustrating yeah deeply <laughs> If one of a couple starts talking to you about, you know, when they're planning the shoot or, you know, talking about their, their wedding and that they want you to photograph and they start using words like depth of field and uh, golden hour, does that make a klaxon go off in your head? Or do you sort of think, oh, they know a bit about this, so it's going to be plain sailing? Or do you imagine they're going to start doubling and directing? Actually, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, was chatting to a couple um, on Sunday evening uh, in New
0: York and getting married over here next year. And I began to realize from his questions that he had some knowledge and I said, you know, do you have an interest in photography? And he just said, yeah, I I love it. And I bought a camera during lockdown and um, Sony and, and you know, what's interesting is probably 80% of our weddings, either bride or groom or an immediate family member has a really big interest in photography and therefore it really matters to them. So I, and when it matters to people, they're much easier to work with because they understand that it takes teamwork and it takes effort to produce beautiful imagery. And, and, and we're very good at saying this to our clients in advance, that it, they cannot put the full responsibility onto Brent and I. <laughs> it is a teamwork and without them doing what's necessary and giving the energy and giving the time, they're not going to get what they want
1: yeah uh, and I think a lot of photographers take on too much. I really do, and um they shouldn't, but perhaps those people are also better informed about what makes a good image, so they you know they come to your website and recognize that you do good photography, and that's what they want, so therefore they're prepared to listen as well ah uh, definitely, definitely, and they understand that they need to pay for it, <laughs> and that's the other big part <laughs> yes, that's true, yeah, do you ever find like oh the parents are paying and you know that you've agreed everything with the with the couple but then the parents they're paying for the photography and they they want to have a say as well has that ever been an issue for you it
0: definitely and um it tends to be more that the when the parents are paying they're more interested in family photos than anything else um and right mother, mother indoors can be a, a right pain and and we we're all managing what the couples want versus what the people that are paying want and you have to do both of it you know but at the end of the day, we do always say to the client that they are our, the couple that they are our client, yeah. Not the people they're paying. At the end of the day, these photographs are for the couple. But within that, we will always do our, our absolute best to keep you know everybody happy. <laughs> and it can be difficult at times. Yes.
1: So I mean, you've been doing this for a while now, and you've gone all over the world shooting in fantastic locations, gorgeous scenery. But what was your very first wedding shoot like? Absolutely terrifying. No, I I remember, and it was Fionn
0: brother in law whilst getting married. And um, she just said, Come on, do it. And I just said, I'm not ready. I, you know, I've never charged for a wedding. And she just said, They know that. It's not like you're going in pretending that you're something that you're not. And she just said, you know, just do your best. And, um, and they said they will pay you, and they paid me a small amount, and that small amount I immediately, I think probably spent on a speed light, which I needed because there was a torrential downpour, a massive thunderstorm during the ceremony and straight after the ceremony. So, um, but it's it's terrifying, and the problem is that you you learn with weddings specifically that in order to be a good wedding photographer an accomplished wedding photographer you have to know what's coming next it's never about what you're shooting in that moment it's what's coming next and that takes experience and practice are probably getting it wrong a couple of times and you've just got to really truly hope that you're never going to get it badly wrong you know where it matters where you've totally missed something um and so it takes a lot of concentration and yeah trying, we always say we're a bit like um, swans. We're very calm on the surface, but underneath at times we're paddling like mad um, and and it's really just about, I'm never drifting off in the moment. So ceremonies, I'm never just standing there kind of thinking about something else. I'm constantly thinking what happens next and, and setting cameras up, et cetera, for that in preparation and thinking, so let's say the the recessional coming out of a church. One camera will be preset for outside, and the other camera will be the one that I will be shooting the uh, the recessional on. I, you know, it's just things like that. You and then and then immediately that the recessional's ended, and I'm already changing cameras for confetti one because sometimes it's almost in, instantaneous. So, is a lot of that, and you can't you can teach someone that and give them the necessary knowledge actually doing it in the moment that I think honestly think it takes time
1: and practice and yeah kind of practice do you remember a point after a wedding where you thought I've got this now I know what I'm doing I don't know if there's any if it was ever like one significant turning point but I've always given the analogy
0: of a a jigsaw puzzle and I remember in the early years just feeling like there were so many empty pieces of knowledge. And it's those empty pieces of knowledge that affect your confidence so badly. Um, And again, what I used to do in the past was, I'd want to go to the venue super early, probably even go to the venue in advance and walk around and make decisions and think, okay, I'm going to do the group photos there and I'll do this here. And you learn with experience that that's really a nightmare. You must not do that because you can't rely on weather and light. So actually walking in with a plan is counterproductive to your (laughs) confidence because if things then unravel schedules change people decide they want to do something different that's where it comes to compromise problem solving and being able to work very quickly you're better off walking in just thinking i can deal with whatever is thrown at me that is where people should aim to be with photography it doesn't matter what they're shooting unless they're doing it for pleasure if they're doing it being paid and it's absolutely um you know a job then you've got to work out what's going to throw me what can i not currently deal with and how do i go about getting that knowledge because the more knowledge you get the more your confidence builds and then you can go into any shoot thinking i've got this and and we've been at that stage for years now and i will, and yeah I, I don't worry about shoots anymore I don't worry at all. It doesn't mean I don't go in apprehensive. The apprehension would be the people mm-hmm. the, or the weather or there'll be something that was going to make it harder for me. But, I mean, Brent and I go in with an arsenal of kit. We are absolutely good boy and girl scouts in the sense of being prepared. We have a huge amount with us now, um, but we won't necessarily use it.
1: So I was going to ask, how many cameras do you personally use at a wedding? You said you have them with different setups. Do you just use two, or do you have more than two? Two on me,
0: physically Um for
1: photography and for
0: video. We'd probably run five cameras if we're filming a wedding. Well, yeah, it's a lot.
1: And is it just you and Brent? No, no. Now under me
0: there's a, there's a team of four of us. We've got Elizabeth and Mark who work with us, who we've trained, Um and we're even now. Ash Edge, or actually any venue now, people can choose to have Brent and I meeting um the photography, video or both, or they can have an Elizabeth um rock. So it means that we've got different price points now, but we still all shoot Sony, same style, used way to light. Um and yeah, it's just giving clients a bit more of a price differentiator. And actually Brent and I are beginning to slow down slightly after 15 years of doing
1: this. That sounds good. <laughs> That's the idea. But I had visions of Brent running between five different cameras. Well, the good thing about video, of course, is that you
0: you need stability. So actually, certain cameras will just be knocked off for a ceremony and their only job is to get one particular angle or moment. So actually, there's one shot of the bride coming downstairs with her dad and one camera will do only that because it's such a vital scene, but we're not going to put something in that spot for the whole ceremony. So, um, yeah, it's, that's why you
1: need more than you do with photography because you just move with yeah. photography. <laughs> what is it about wedding photography that draws you? What got you into it in the first place? And what keeps you shooting it? For yeah. those of us who didn't maybe go to college to
0: study photography, didn't do a degree, haven't done apprenticeship, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward entry to market you know family photography and wedding photography are definitely if you have this dream of being a full-time photographer Mm -hmm. it's it's not a difficult entry point because as we know it's unregulated market you really just need to create a brand and build a website and and if you get your SEO right or your or your networking skills who knows what might happen so it's probably frighteningly easy to actually get into it but it's not Easy at all to um, build a sustainable profitable business because many people are undercharging and they don't understand the importance of charging properly when they take into consideration everything so yeah the insurance the kit, the overhead the software and you know there's a lot of problems with the business side of it for a lot of wedding photographers and family photographers and some are only doing it for extra income which I understand, but causes a lot of problems for people who are doing it full time. Um, so it was an easy way for me as a mum to have a go without investing a huge amount or totally retraining. I did I did train, I did do a year long kind of business slash photography call. Yeah. And I did obviously invest in the kit and everything, but it's still not a difficult way to get into it. So I would say it was more that i perfectly honestly it's not like I thought oh I desperately want to be a wedding photographer um I like the idea that I still love working with people uh, and all the rest of it but um it was probably quite a straightforward routine the reality is that I probably now shoot more Google than I do anything that's become the big thing for me and and that has been you know I think really interesting that there's now this huge market out there and in, in in essence, it's, I wouldn't say I prefer it, but, you know, weddings are a huge commitment. You're there 10 to 12 hours. There's a huge amount of work to do afterwards. Um, it's tiring physically. So, Bennett and I, you know, we're, we, we're not going to stop yet, but I'm
1: certainly not going to be doing it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Boudoir photography. How did you introduce that to your business? So, there's actually probably
0: about 12... Last thing in 2010 time, um, my sister-in-law contacted me to, to say that a friend of hers husband was turning 50 and he was very wealthy and successful and had everything he wanted and she didn't know what to buy him. So she decided to do a shoot and um, we talked and she wanted to, to do it all about. He liked her legs. It sounds so funny, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do this shoot. And in my my kind of looking at some, I do know if Pinterest was either a thing then, um, I kind of began to get this sense of this thing, boudoir, that hadn't yet reached the UK properly at all. And when I turned up for the shoot, she showed me all these underclothes. And then I said, do you have any lingerie? And she kind of opened this whole drawer up. And I was like, oh my goodness. And that was the first shoot that I ever did that was lingerie and and I really enjoyed it, and it, it's kind of grown from there. Uh, and I definitely think it's the most difficult thing I do, and sense of doing it well, and um, without question, the most rewarding. It's um, it's really quite transformative for women.
1: Yeah, I've heard that said. I've not had a boudoir shoot myself, but I know a few people who have, and like someone even said they felt it should be available on the NHS because it gives you such a lift and makes you feel so positive. Which is must be a, a very rewarding aspect of photography.
0: I must agree. in fact, one of one of my parents a couple of years ago, you know, wrote right me afterwards saying it's the best therapy I never knew I needed. You know, it's it's that that same thing. And you know, we're, women are just really tough on themselves, and it's always forcing a woman to see what other people see that they almost refuse to accept is them or could be them. They're, we you know, when they see the imagery, they can't really deny that maybe that's what they can look like and do look like, and that the people that love them know that they don't like that. And it's just, yeah, it really can change how a woman perceives herself and behaves. And it, it's, it's, it's big. It's, it's like a really big thing, I think.
1: Yeah. And do you still rely on what they happen to have in the top drawer of their cabinet, or do you, you know, have a consultation and talk about what? what the clothing they might like to wear or maybe you have a selection or some re- recommended um, suppliers. Oh, and yeah, I send them a whole document in advance of the shoot. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of preparation for a shoot.
0: <laughs> some men, when they contact me and book for their wives, they kind of say, oh, you know, what if, what dates have you got available in the next two or three weeks? And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. You no, know, she's going to need beauty appointments. She's going to need to lingerie shopping. She probably want to hit the gym for a month. you know um it's a big it's a big thing mm-hmm. and and yeah but i have like lots of bits and bobs over the years that that come into that get used on shoes so no oh, it's like robes and shoes and that kind of thing and uh but you know i absolutely i take it very seriously because we all know that if a woman sees one a bad photo that photo is the photo they remember not the 29 lovely ones mm-hmm. a woman's self-esteem is such a delicate thing but, yeah i you know some of the boudoir stuff I see. I I think it can do as much good as it can probably do damage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's good that it's getting the recognition for the the effect it can have on people. I think that's that's really really good. But you also do teaching. Now, I know you're moving more towards one to one mentoring rather than sort of teaching courses or classes with groups of people. But again, you know why why did you move into teaching and how did that come around? It was. Brent,
0: as any change in my business often is, um, we're this incredible. kind of team. We're very different on a business level and how we function. But I'd mentored and taught um, early times in, in in my career, and then uh, when it all got crazy busy, stopped for a while. And and it was kind of Brent that said, you know, whenever you do spend time with people educating them, it, it has a again, sometimes been like Budo, it has a very transformative effect on them because. I think as a woman, you communicate differently. You don't overcomplicate everything and you just bring it back to the end result rather than, you know, the physics of it all. Mm-hmm. It was also at the time, I was when a lot of online training platforms were, were really growing. And we kind of looked at online training. And then Brent said, I think the strength of what you do is in, you know, being able to talk to people properly and not just talking at them. And so he said, Why don't we start training from home? We live in central England and we the house is is got kind of a good setup. So he said, let's just give it a go and and let's just start with a course which you know people need. And so the first one we ever really did was the uh learn to love your Speedlights, yeah. Which, you know, we ran for two or three years always full. And by full that was eight people. I mean, it's not because we kept it very small. And um yeah, I managed to literally get people to love their speedlights and that actually was a big thing because still so many people are just hate them and scared of them and all the rest of it and again it's a bit like boudoir I think you know people say is wedding photography really mean (laughs) rewarding sometimes But
1: not always. It's not as rewarding as educating or boudoir. It's what they always imagined they were going to get, I suppose. Isn't it? You know, you book a wedding photographer, you have this idea where I'm going to have this beautiful dress, he's going to have that great suit on and we'll get these amazing photos. So you're delivering their expectations, where I think maybe boudoir, you're delivering beyond their expectations They're making them realise. And with training, you're taking them to the next step, aren't you? I think you're right. And for me, it's
0: always about the end result being improving confidence over and above everything. Obviously I want to improve their photography mm-hmm. but I don't think enough people realise it's confidence that holds them back. Yeah. Trying things and you know you can stay in a comfort zone on a shoot which means you're never going to step out of the way you shoot and, and maybe try new things because you're scared to. So all I want to do is make people believe that they can problem
1: solve and get themselves out of a sticky situation and, and that's huge. Yeah. Sometimes just recognising what's caused the problem helps you solve it doesn't it
0: i just think realizing that it's not your fault if on a shoot you are faced with a really difficult scenario people blame themselves as if i should know or or how when it has happened or why is this happening as opposed to understanding that um, photography particularly with people has very many different levels to it and you have to be so good at so many different things i think once people realize that as long as they're capable of solving the problems and delivering a professional level of photography
1: and they've done the job really well. I think that's very true. You're switching to one-to-one mentoring now, which again I think must be rewarding, but is there a danger that you want to fix things for people rather than help them fix things, you want to fix it? Ah, no, that's a really good question. I'm,
0: I'm really clear at the beginning of a mentor re- relationship that it has to be dictated by what they want to achieve and not what I think they need <laughs> and so I get them to really plan sessions with me in advance because I don't want to waste their time I mean photography is an enormous subject it's very easy to go down rabbit holes with people so I make I make everyone plan the sessions really tightly and then within that I have an opinion on whether I think that's the best use of time or not because I don't ever want anyone to walk away feeling they haven't got value yeah
1: does it tend to be more the business of photography, or is it, I don't understand what this setting does on my camera, or is it, how do I manage my time better? How, what sort of things do people mostly want to help with? I think they are more
0: concerned about the photography, but they don't realise how important it is for them to get the business side right. Yeah. You know, and that's the reality that, you know, and also in terms of my own progression that you know, once you've, you've, you've got your head around the photography, which honestly, once you've done it, you've done it. I don't want to, you know, underestimate that. But it's, as you said, once you understand exposure and you understand cameras and you understand adding light and things like that, it doesn't change that much. It's more about adapting it to circumstances. Then it comes down to running an efficient business and not getting to the stage where you don't like photography anymore because it's taking your life over and that is vital that you don't reach burnout that you don't stop enjoying it and that's what running the business side and and Brent recognized that very early on when we got together and you just said everything is over complex mm. and too much of your time is spent running this business rather than doing the actual work of photography so we've embraced Software and technology to basically give time back because otherwise you will just be sat behind a desk all the time. You know, we we are slowly beginning to explore using AI in various walks of our business now, and because Brent's very much don't be scared of it. It it's an efficiency thing, yeah. And so we're going through that process at the moment, and I'm finding that you know really interesting Mm -hmm. to to like learn how to to basically get a better work-life balance. Like, all Gwen ever wants from me is a better work-life balance because after 15 years, it's you know it's time. And um, you know that's what I try to say to people. Is, I know that photography is important, but if you're not careful, you're going to stop enjoying this because the, the, the
1: business of it is going to take over. Yeah. And actually, your photography will really suffer because you resent taking pictures that you then have to process, that you then have to put into albums and all of that sort of stuff. So you kind of think, or can I just get away with 15 shots in this situation rather than just getting into flow or whatever, you know, the joy goes out of it and then your business will go downhill. Okay, so it's time for six from SheClicks. So I've got 10 questions from SheClickers and I'd like you to answer six of them, please, by giving me numbers from one to 10. So could I have your first number, please? Three. Number three. How do you split your time between the different types of photography that you do? The thing you've mentioned weddings, boudoir, food... I would
0: say the the easiest way to set it is uh, wedding work, commercial work, which also involves things like personal branding, uh, food and everything, and boudoir. And I would say it's probably 40, 40,
1: 20 weddings, boudoir, commercial. But you like doing the boudoir more, so are you trying to make more time available for that and scaling back on the weddings? Uh, yeah, and we have just about to launch a new business called Meings, which I'm actually working
0: with two other female photographers who basically, if I wanted to, I could shoot boudoir all the time. Yeah. That's how many inquiries I get now and the demand. But um, again, I don't think you'd want to just shoot boudoir. I think it'd be emotionally exhausting because honestly, it's a bit like a counseling session. So I'm going to do that with, with two other women just to give boudoir its potential I quite like a balance, Angela. If I'm honest, I never one that would only want to shoot one thing day in day
1: out. Yeah. So the ratios you talked about—that's how it works out at. But that's a balance that works nicely for you. So we don't anymore shoot 25 weddings a year because that
0: almost immediately negates the ability to either shoot everything else as much as you want to, or you end up being so busy that you hate
1: it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and nobody wants that.
0: Now we might shoot 15 weddings. And um, again, the weddings we shoot now are both photography and videography. So in essence, during 15 weddings, we like not doing 30 weddings, but um, in terms of income. Right. Yeah. So that's enabled me to spend more time on boudoir. Yeah. Okay. So marry a videographer is what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love filming that and he's told me and it's, I love it. Great. Can
1: I have the number for your next question, please? Um, okay. And then 10. Number ten. What's your favourite part of a wedding day? That's from Caroline. Ooh, that's a really good question.
0: I still love the ceremony. That's why that's why we're all there at the end of the day. I love the ceremony for the event. And then I obviously like the couple session. But in terms of what makes me happy, it's watching two people committing still. No, that's nice.
1: Okay, so your third number, please. Eight. Number eight. Oh, do you ever do shoots with other people who work in weddings? So like florists or um, dressmakers?
0: Yeah, very much so. Last week we filmed a brand video for a bespoke tuner. And next week I'm working with a florist. Um, So that that to me is the commercial work. Right. It kind of sits under the commercial work. But yes, absolutely comes through the wedding industry. And not a weddings are very good if you're wanting to get into wedding photography establish yourselves and offer your skill you know you you have this amazing content that everybody needs so be generous with it be generous with your time and you'll be amazed what opportunities it opens up for you I've always said to people that you know we're in a position of strength with photography and videography and it's such an easy way to to get um to build connections and
1: and network, basically before we move on, I can't help pointing out that that was a lovely bit of bird song in the background there. Have you got a canary in your office? <laughs> no, we are in the garden. It's a garden office and the doors are open. Quite warm. Oh, it's lovely. OK, can I have another number, please? Another number. So, number uh, five. Number five. Oh, what would make you pick up your camera after work? That question's from Liz. <laughs> Not
0: a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't, don't. No, that seems to be quite a common theme, actually. I've, I've spoken to a few professionals. So no, no, not anymore. Not anymore. And in fact, Brendan, I don't even take a professional body on holiday with
0: us. We just use our phones. So you know that this time, not to be <laughs> <and> the <girl laughs> and say to them, um, "What would make it would be an important event?" Mm-hmm. So I'd still pick it up. My friend's birthday, or something happening with my kids, um, with. The dog, you know when uh, the when the memory matters, put it that way, yeah, because I hate everything being on phones, yeah, I still want a be- beautiful pictures and video, and you can never have too many pictures of your dog either, no, and she 's not even really
1: technically ours, but I adore her, but black labs are notoriously difficult to photograph, oh with. God, yes, <laughs> they really are, okay, so uh, your penultimate number. <laughs> Oh, okay. One. Number one. Okay, this is a good one, actually. This is from Rebecca. How did you find switching from a DSLR to a mirrorless camera? Honestly, for two
0: weeks, really painful. Really, really painful because it's just a completely different animal. And like any of us, and I always use the analogy of cars, when you have a car that you've been driving for a while and you get from A to B without conscious thought of driving, that's how it was with my DSLR. I didn't think about anything. Right, My hand and my brain did the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt like it, I was massively handicapped for a period of time. Yeah. But that was very soon outweighed by the enormous benefits of shooting nervous. Um Just the speed, the accuracy and the seeing what you get for starters immediately made me think, just get through the pain and get to the stage when you're driving this thing effortlessly. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I I found it really, really frustrating, I think, probably the headline. Mm. But you switched brands as well, so that like the, the menu system and the button layout would have been quite dramatically different.
0: Yeah, and I found the Nikon, though, depending on the body you're on, the buttons were in different places anyway. So that was a frustration to Brunt and I on different kind of Nikon bodies. Yeah, um, yeah it was, it, 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 it is it is huge, but as I said, the the, the upside of mirrorless, certainly for how, what we shoot and how we shoot, was just so outweighed the, the slight pain barrier you have to get through there. Um, yeah. Behind me, some very old cameras, but it's my Nikon and, you know, my D3 and that, or D3S, and that's there because I'm not changed in my photography career while I had that camera, so... That's the only one I didn't trade in, just because it's got loads of memories for me. But it's huge, you know. When I pick that
1: lens, I'm like, oh my god! I haven't even got the battery pack on.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything needs to be smaller and lighter and faster. Yeah. How did you adapt to the EVF compared to an optical viewfinder? It's fine. Like it doesn't bother me because to me, it's not about all the nuances
0: of the kit. It's not about you know all the tests that the camera mags and everybody do in order to establish if a lens is sharp. Yeah. I just don't care. I care about the end result, not the process of the making. And so it, it, it honestly just doesn't must have be been fair. I am a left eye shooter. Now, this is an interesting one for some english the ladies. I don't know if they've ever thought about it, but um, I am strongly right-handed and I'm a left eye shooter. And with DSLRs and, in fact, using a viewfinder, you actually disappear behind the camera completely. So I found mirrorless and the, the accuracy of the autofocus system and IAF and everything, the Sony, enable me to bring the camera away from my face. And unless I'm outside in very bad condition, I never look through any new phone. So I actually rely on the LCD screen. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, because I had no peripheral vision. Right. I'm a left eye. If you're right-handed and left-eye, it shows signs of great creativity. And for people who've never thought about it, all they need to do is create a little square, okay, and a stationary object in front of it, and then they just need to close each eye, one after the other, and the object will move on the weaker eye. And whichever it moves less, slash, doesn't move at all, that's your dominant eye. And a lot of people will find that they're left-eyed and maybe don't even know. they okay, have
1: just automatically assumed it's a right eye. Interesting.
0: And cameras are all built for the right eye. Yeah, okay. So your final number, please. You tell me. You ask me the question
1: you like the most left. Okay. Number six. What's your idea of photography hell? <laughs> what type of shoot would you try and avoid at all costs? Studio. Studio, really?
0: Studio. shoots of families. Right there. Photography hell. <laughs> just too many people setting up lights no location no ambient light to inspire me you know just a blank piece of paper it's that same thing of you know if you're ever told white like, go and create a uh go and do something or create a painting and you're like of what yeah. you know i need some inspiration i need to brief. or i need i need something otherwise i'm just staring <laughs> a blank a blank newspaper to me that's what's A studio is I
1: Yeah. I get so much of my personal inspiration from everything that's in the frame. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is it whatever kind of floats your boat or gets your creative mind thinking? That's that's the important thing. And some people like that blank canvas, but not you, it would appear. I find it soul destroying, but I'm sure most people love it. It's just not for me. Well, thank you so much for answering those questions and agreeing to come on the podcast today. It's been really, really lovely to hear from you i uh, so sorry to chat to you again
0: and well done for everything you've achieved with She Takes it's a, honestly a brilliant community and uh, you know just probably last word to all those lovely ladies is to honestly if it's something you don't know you're struggling with then um, use the community because without question someone in that community understands and can help um, because it will you know improve confidence
1: and therefore creativity which can only be a good thing. That's a great point to finish. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the she Clicks Women in Photography podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll find links to Kate's website and social media channels in the show notes. I'll be back with another episode soon, so please subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform and tell all your friends and followers about it. You'll also find SheClicks on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube if you search for SheClicksNet. So until next time, enjoy your photography.